Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. And I'm Father Travis Crotty. We are coming to you on a very rainy day from Lamar's, Iowa. However, it's no longer Good Friday, so we're in the joy of the Easter season. We are. And we've we had are some recording food, which is kind of nice. We, yeah. we recorded here the last time, Good Friday. Late on same f- spot. Good Friday. Yeah, so it's nice to. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a little bit more dreary and kind of. Mm. Well, we need the rain. But the yeah. green grass is out and it's beautiful. When we did record on Good Friday, you know, I could tell you were just kind of getting. Little famished, you're kind of like, hey, all right. I had a head. I definitely had a real headache, and I was just trying to come over the, yeah, you know, get over the headache. Yeah, what a good sacrifice. Wow. Way to way to offer it up for yeah. Jesus and the team. Good job, Father. <laughs> the team. <laughs> good job, Father. Um. So, guess what? Tell me. Digame. We are leading fifty-five young men on the quest trip to the Smoky Mountains. We are hiking down there in five weeks. So. Are they ready to hike this time? Because the last time I went on one of these with you, we hiked a mountain in South Dakota, and it was advertised as a mountain hike. We right. were ready to go on a mountain hike. I was excited to lead this mountain hike, and I'd done it before, so you said, lead the way. So I hiked a mountain, and all these guys who are way more athletic than me were whining and complaining the whole time. Oh. Are they ready to hike? I mean, are I they, think so. Do they know what they're doing? I you think they're so. they're up for? I think so. So, yeah, last year we were at Estes Park, you know, uh, the YMCA camp in Estes Park, Colorado, hiking up there. This year, we're going to, um, the quest trip is going to the Smoky Mountains, to mm. Black Mountain in North Carolina. I've never been. I'm excited to go. Well, I hadn't either until last week, and I flew <laughs> down. Trip, I yeah. flew down, and uh, it was a 24-hour trip to North Carolina. 24-hour reconnaissance mission. It was. It was a recon mission, because uh, I wanted at least one of us to get down there and look like we knew what we were doing. Like the Israelites who came back with a, with a large cluster of grapes. Yes, and <laughs> yeah. Caleb said, surely we can <laughs> conquer these people. <laughs> yes. They will not defeat us, even though they're as big as we look like grasshoppers among men. Yes. Um, yeah, it was a recon trip. Uh-huh. Um, difficult travel experience getting into Asheville, North Carolina uh, after midnight. Oh. Not a lot of Uber drivers. Ah, so but, just standing there stranded. Well, but it, here's the thing. I landed. Um, we really will get to the point of this whole... Uh, <laughs> The whole we really will get to the point of this whole um, podcast for all of our listeners. Oh, I'm but just I am I am here for the banter. You know that every time. <laughs> so, six planes landed in Asheville, North Carolina, at eleven thirty at night, and there is like one baggage crew out there. So we waited for like a half an hour for our bags, and this airport is jam packed. There are hundreds of people. By the time we got our bags, it was midnight, and I had already been talking to the hotel about getting me to the hotel shuttle. And so I called them after midnight after I had just spoken to them 20 minutes earlier. And they're like, oh, it just turned midnight. We're done for the night. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. And there are like babies screaming. There are families everywhere. Um, there were no more rental cars. I had to get a rental car um, downtown at another rental car location because uh, the airport had run out. Uh, and I knew that days in advance. Um, but there are no more Uber drivers coming out that night. There's no, there's no taxis around. There's no public bus system at that hour. Father Shane, tell the people what you did. How well, did you get out of that predicament? Well, I didn't do anything. This woman walked up to me and she said, Father, if you trust us, my husband and I are Catholic. We live here. We know this happens all the time. The ground transportation at this airport is terrible late at night. 
we live not far from here, and we overheard your conversation with the hotel on the phone. Can we give you a ride? And I said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Wow, that's awesome. So then we just ran out of there, and uh, um, yeah, it was kind of a mess. But I did tour the uh, YMCA camp at Black Mountain, North Carolina, and it's gorgeous. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty historic site. Um, the, some of the main lodges are well over a century old. Cool. But the, uh, the Smokies are, are gorgeous. I had never been down there. Um, just reminded me to listen to Copeland's Appalachian Spring music the whole time. It's very, very picturesque. Um, we, uh, is there any like regional cuisine that we need to have when we're in North Carolina? Are they like famous for barbecue or something? They are. They have their own style of barbecue. It would be different than Texas or yeah. like Kansas City some, style. We got to get some of that. We will. Um, there's a lot of like good farm to table movements um, oh. in that whole region with that local artisan 50, chefs not that we're and everything. Take 55 <laughs> guys to some artisan like hipster restaurant and right. You know. The the uh, the Biltmore Estate is the big famous you know chateau built in the 19th century oh. after the style of French chateaus by the Vanderbilt family. We won't be taking 55 young guys to that either. Okay, well, but um, yeah, there'll be some opportunities for that, and we'll do some uh, rafting while we're down there. So looking Sweet. forward to it. Can't wait. I think it's going to be a good trip. We have prepared for us for this riveting conversation well outcast catholic here what we're going to talk about today is um test driving a new car oh so years and years ago (laughs) i was having a conversation with some young people about um cohabitation which means living together before marriage very good couples living together before marriage and I always hear from young people the same exact arguments. I've heard it, you know, for years and years and years. Well, Father, like, if you're going to get married, you know, like, you got to test it out. Yeah, test like, drive the car. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be, like, committed to this person, well, of course you got to, like, live together to yeah. see if it's going to work out, yeah, see you if they're compatible. Know if they snore. Yeah. you got to know if you hate them or not. How they yeah. arrange their sock drawer, Someone all of that. literally just told me this, I think, yesterday. Well, Father, I get the church's teaching, but, you know. You got to test it out. Yeah. And so then I always come back at them and say, okay, so did you just tell me that your fiance or your cohabitating partner is nothing more than a used car? Mm. That you go to the used car salesman and say, oh, I'm, I think I'm kind of interested in this make and model. Let me just ride it for a while and take it around the block for a little bit. And if it fits me, if it, if it kind of works with my taste, okay, well, then I'll make the purchase. Mm-hmm. But if not, I'll just discard. Yeah. And you'll go to the other... Yeah. A handful of cars in the lot. Yeah. There's there another one there? to go test drive. Yeah. Well, and I say that to people and they're just like, well, I didn't mean it that Come way, on, Father. Man, I didn't mean it like that. That's not exactly what I was saying. And I was like, yeah, no, I think it really was. Mm-hmm. I think you're really interested in a minimal commitment to test drive the car. And if it doesn't work for you, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what you're saying. And you're just not willing to admit that you just want to test drive people. Um, and then the room usually goes quiet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Somebody, a friend last night I was talking to who lives in Denver, right? Which has a very, um, particular cultural reality with young people and it cohabitating, right? I think it does indeed. predominantly secular culture of a lot of young people move there from all over the place. You know, a lot of people are moving from California and Den- the Denver folks hate that, but then a ton of Midwest kids, when we go around Wash Park, when I was there for a year, you'd see all these like. KU, Iowa, Iowa State, like flags by their volleyball stuff because tons of Midwest kids go there. Mm-hmm. But uh, a friend was just talking about how she said that uh, uh, one of her acquaintance, acquaintances said, oh, 
I know we're life partners, but I just like don't see us getting married. <laughs> you know, okay, uh, that's the idea. Because it will. What's marriage? It's like we'll wait till we're like thirty years old. We've been living together for about ten years, or you know, five years, whatever. Um, maybe move around a couple times, get a lot of travel, and definitely not have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and then eventually, like if you realize that you know, maybe you want to like make your grandma happy, you'll invite your life partner to do this like silly old ceremony of marriage, right? Yeah, so romantic. Mm. So romantic. And and you really wonder, like, where's the sense of adventure? Like, they say, well, yeah, we want to move in together and do some traveling. Like, we're going to go down to the Great Barrier Reef and go snorkeling with the sea turtles or something. And that's going to be our big adventure. Well, what about the big adventure of actually committing yourself in unconditional love, helping one another grow in holiness, helping one another get to heaven and actually doing the whole journey of life together as a bigger project in God's, God's eyes than just saying, we're going to go snorkeling together in our young adult years. Yeah, instead of just getting a... <laughs> I was trying to think of one of those pood- poodle mixes. Uh, yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> the only word that came to my head was snickerdoodle. <laughs> that's definitely that's a, a cookie. cookie. That's um, not a species I'm of sure dog. I'm sure there probably is a nickname for some species of dog that's like that. However, um, yeah, the, the adventure of actually having a family, like the adventure of co-creating with God and mm-hmm. having children, mm-hmm. instead of this, yeah... Um, as Pope Francis said recently, you know, kind of the selfishness that we're just going to have a bunch of dogs, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't really demand that much from us. Right. Instead of that real adventure that's there um, of stepping into what it means to be husband and wife in the context of father and mother. Right. Yeah. And not only having the adventure of, of extending yourself in love towards the next generation, you know, producing children as something that's bigger than yourself, but also having another generation to take care of you in your elderly years. No one seems to be thinking about that when their 20s and 30s are slipping by them and they're just off snorkeling with one another, yeah. you know? <laughs> Always snorkeling. Yeah, so much well, snorkeling. Father Shannon, <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond? Because, I mean, what I'm recognizing with marriage prep couples in the parish right now is, like, even, even here, even here in the rural Midwest that's predominantly, like, got these kind of conservative values and, and whatever, this kind of maybe latent Christendom that's still kind of hanging on, the, like, the cultural norm right now coming out of colleges is you absolutely um that see that was used differently father taylor it wasn't the same absolutely <laughs> you absolutely um cohabitate with your with your um life partner or whatever you want to call them right that's that's absolutely the norm mm-hmm. everybody does that so to not do that is to step way out it's not just to be because what's odd is that most folks of an older generation expect the norm to be not cohabitating and they get kind of all grumpy when the norm is. But now I think what we're realizing with our with our um, generations is that, yeah, the norm is is cohabitation. Mm-hmm. So I think nothing makes you feel outcast more than kind of looking at this church rule. Mm-hmm. Not supposed to have sex before you're married. Not supposed to live together. Um, also, <laughs> the rule isn't that you're not supposed to live together. It's not about living in the same house. It's usually what happens when you live in the same house and sleep in the same bed. Right. Um, and also, there could be conversations about what's the best way to live a chaste relationship. Usually, sleeping in the same bed and living in the same house is not conducive to, to such. Right. How do you respond, though, Like when they're like, well, why? Okay, so one of the things that I say is that you just can't pretend marriage. You can't. It's impossible. And all these people will say, well, what are you talking about? We're having all this fun. We cook together. Snorkeling. We snorkel all the time. <laughs> you know, we, we have the same values. We hang out. And I, and I just respond by <laughs> Go saying... Go to lots of brunches. Yeah, so many brunches. I just say, you cannot pretend marriage. You're either in committed lifelong vows or you're not. Mm. Um, 
I mean, yes, you're 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 kind of playing house here, and you're acting like you're in this together. But that's not the same as having marriage vows. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as walking around with a ring that's been blessed in a, a liturgical ceremony. It's not the same as uh, having a ring that's blessed um, after you took vows before God and his holy people. And those vows mean something. And there's grace that's available through this, you know, the sacrament itself, which I never understand why people don't take you know, the... the uh, the wedding grace is so seriously. Mm. Uh, it's probably just the loss of our sacramental imagination culturally. Uh, but people want to try and get through life without that grace. You know, well, we can hang out. and In we, spite of it, yeah. We can hang out and we can have fun and we can be, li- live our lives together. Well, yeah, but you could also do that with God's grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could actually have God bless your wedding vows. You could bestow the sacrament upon one another through your exchange of vows. And in that, you'll be living in a state of sacramental grace, um, you know, assuming that they went into the, the liturgy in a state of sacramental yeah. grace. But anyways, the point is, um, you can't pretend that. You're either in committed vows or you're not. Otherwise, you're just playing house. Yeah. And you really can't pretend a lifelong commitment until you make the lifelong commitment. Uh, and anything short of that is, in my, play, in my opinion, just kind of playing house. Yeah. One of our professors who you have met, I'm sure, Dr. Hogan um, mm-hmm. at Kenrick, you mm-hmm. will spend lots of time with. Yep. It's vice rector there. Um, he taught us our marriage class, uh, sacrament of marriage class, and he had a compelling line that he said he would only keep in kind of his back pocket. He used to teach high school when he first started out, right out of college. I think my, maybe before grad school when he was in grad school. And he said when he's teaching these high school students, and this was in the 90s or the early 2000s, and like these questions were, you know, obviously they're, they're there even more so now. Um, he would pull out as a last resort in these conversations this, this kind of line. Well, you're already comfortable having sex with somebody you're not married to. Mm-hmm. So how, why would that somehow change in the future? Absolutely. And really like pr- really proposing it of exactly what you said. Like there's no, there's no playing marriage. Like you're either committed or you're not. Right. And there's all these weird levels of, of, of you know, different jargon for commitment. It's like, well, we're just talking. You know, we're not dating yet. Okay, now we're dating, mm-hmm. but we're not living together yet. Okay, well, now we're living together. You know, and then, but we're, we're just kind of in an apartment. Well, now we've bought a house together, but we don't have a dog yet. You know, now we bought a dog together, but we, you know, we don't have children yet. So and then like, okay, well, we're going to have children once we get married. Right. So it's all these like weird, like kind of made up levels of, of commitment. Mm-hmm. But really what it comes down to, it's like, yeah, you're either committed or you're not. And if, if you make those vows with your body and the only way they can bring about a child, which will, you know, <laughs> tie you together for the rest of your life, if you mm-hmm. want it or not. Um, yeah. That level of commitment can't just be like can't just be feigned through some experience of, you know, I don't know, living together, whatever. Right. Um, but I think that's so true. It's like there's all the statistical research, right, about about infidelity in marriage and about those who cohabitate before marriage. There's a high likelihood that there might be infidelity because that's the case. You already broke that boundary of, okay, I had sex with somebody before I was married, mm-hmm. regardless of the level of commitment, whether it was a one-night stand or whether it was a long-time, 10-year relationship that involved cohabitating. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But then when that gets boring and the snorkeling gets, you know, too expensive or you get too old, you don't do it anymore. And the restaurants get lame and they, you know, you've gone to all of them a hundred times and there's not all this fun adventurous stuff to do. Well, then Mm -hmm. you're going to look for that adventure somewhere else and not condemning anybody for, for, for experiencing that. But like, it's, it's easy. Mm -hmm. You've already broke that boundary to just step over that boundary again. Right. And especially if there's no commitment in the first place, um, if you're not even married. Right. Yeah. And speaking of statistics, 
you know, there's there's great statistical research that's been done to say for cohabitating couples, domestic violence increases because shockingly, there's no commitment of unconditional love there. We just saw this play out with Johnny Depp and right. his uh, ex-wife. Or right. Well, they were married, but still. Well, yeah, but among cohabitating couples, you know, domestic violence uh, increases. Depression rates among women increase. Um, I am absolutely convinced, I, I can't necessarily prove this with any stats in front of me right now, but I'm absolutely convinced anxiety increases. I have worked with adults who have been cohabitating in which their partner just suddenly moved out without yeah. any explanation. And these people were just suddenly left, and they, they didn't even receive the courtesy of being broken up with face-to-face. Their partner just suddenly moved out in, in the night or in, maybe in the middle of the workday, and they came home, uh, and no one was there. I've known that on, on several different occasions in pastoral ministry. And so it's no wonder if there's no committed vows uh, if there's no wedding exchange of wedding bands and rings, then yeah, anxiety is going to increase and the, and the lack of stability is going to keep haunting you. Now granted, anyone who's married can still move out and just suddenly quit the marriage. But if there's that effort to say we have invested in one another and we have taken vows before God and his grace is still sustaining us, which we lean on in the good times and in the bad, mm. in sickness and in health till death do us part, well, then that anxiety can obviously be diminished mm-hmm. because there is a sense of stability and there's a sense of shared identity in the wedding band. Yeah, and like some of this sounds like the via negativa, the negative way of, I just did like the Bishop Barron thing where you say the, the right. fancier like Latin and then right. just immediately like <laughs> the nouve theologie, right. it's a new theology, right. whatever. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> God was going to say, um, but the positive side of this it's mm-hmm. not just like well don't do that because it's bad don't do that because it's bad don't be, do that because it's bad the church especially um through john paul ii's um theology of the body and all that just kind of has has grown in our understanding of the sacrament of marriage and, and human sexuality uh we, we're not just a bunch of prudes the idea isn't just so that you can you know we just like really want to clamp down the rules to make you kind of suffer like um to, to really appreciate what marriage is no i want you to experience the best possible sacramental marriage that's out there. Mm-hmm. We want to want to help you, you know. But I, mean, I was just talking to somebody recently too. Like, there needs to be an experience of like we just experienced from um, Good Friday fasting, so that we can feast. Mm-hmm. Like that's the case with marriage too. It's a it's a time of preparation, just like Advent, just like Lent for this celebration for this feast, and so is this this chastity within relationship leading up to marriage, right? Um, to experience the joy of um, connubial bliss, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is this time of, of abstaining or of fasting so as to feast in the future, but it's for the sake of feasting. It's not just because we're masochists and want people to suffer mm-hmm. um, or just because we're prudes and want to like clamp down on people's fun or pleasure or something like that. No, God has a plan for marriage, right? Uh, free, full, faithful, fruitful love. Mm-hmm. And if that's really what's on offer, then you know it, it can be achieved, but there's a, there's a plan that God's kind of given for that. One of the things that comes to mind is Sarah Swafford in her many talks at Steubenville conferences or C conferences or whatever. She often points out that people put this very false and a high level of pressure on their spouses to say that, you know, this person is supposed to be the end all be all of my, of my overall happiness. Mm. And Sarah always points out, no, you'll actually crush your spouse. If you do that, if you expect your spouse to be the eternal source of your bliss, um, that's not what their role is. Uh, their role is companionship as you help one another get to heaven 
and that in your love for one another, you actually get the opportunity and the privilege to reflect Christ's covenantal love uh, in the covenant that he laid down with his bride, the church. Mm. Your love gets to reflect that. But you can't expect your partner to be the eternal source of your happiness. It's way too much pressure on them. Uh, they're not perfect. You know, they're not God. And I just wonder when people keep cohabitating and they keep shopping around and they avoid commitment, I just wonder if there is this false sense out there where they're constantly searching for the better person, mm. the person that will never make them unhappy, the person that will never fight with them, the person that will always be argument-free, the person that will always pleasure them the most. Mm. And until I find that person, I'm not going to make a full commitment. I just wonder if that's kind of an unspoken reality in our culture these days in which there, these young people are just chasing after idealistic notions of what a spouse should be as opposed to, no, I can love this person, I can sacrifice for this person, and, um, and in that we will grow in, in happiness and holiness. Yeah, well, we see it already throughout the culture in different ways, right? The lack of, you know, I think there's this struggle, especially in church world, that we see of, well, there's not as many volunteers. Well, there's a lack of commitment, right? You don't want to tie yourself down to something because there might be something more fun, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to say yes. To, this happens all the time, like when I was living in, in a city with a bunch of young adults. Like, nobody wants to commit to plans because better plans might come up and then you would have to actually suffer the fact that you couldn't do the most pleasurable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course it would make sense that that's also happening in the context of marriage. Right. And I just want to say something, one last thing about a lot of people who find themselves in this cohabitation uh, experience. A lot of the times it's because they get out of college, they move to some city and they're, it, it's always, you know, they say it's about financial things, right? Mm-hmm. I've known so many couples where they've, they've made the sacrifice, whatever that might be. Right, I just knew that a friend in, in Omaha was living with uh, the priest in the rectory, and sometimes you know priests are open to that with with a guest room or something like that mm-hmm. um, before his wedding. Like as one apartment, you know, uh, the the lease was done, and before the next one started, hey, can I live for a month in the rectory? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think there are so many people who would be willing to do things like that. It is a little scary when you're in a city where you don't know anybody, mm-hmm. but the, it's not like the only option is that. Well, well, we just have to, we just have to live together. Right. You know, there's, there's people out there who would be love to be your roommates and, and things like that. You mentioned the word sacrifice, and I think that's one of the great things that actually can show somebody how committed their spouse, their fiancé is. Um, mm-hmm. By making a sacrifice to say, uh, I am going to refrain from sexual activity with you, and I'm going to sacrifice those sexual desires and urges. I'm going to sacrifice my desire to move in with you right now. Because when you show them that sacrifice, you just show you have just proven to them how far your love is willing to go, and they are they are making a statement to you in that sacrificial love to say this isn't all about me, mm-hmm. and I'm ordering my activity, my energy, my passions towards something broader that we can share in together and be blessed uh, by God's love. Yeah. So, um, good conversation, Father Travis. Thanks for your insights, and to all of our listeners, uh, know of our prayers for you, and uh, really give this some thought if you're contemplating cohabitating. Or if you are right now, is there a deeper way in the church's vision for covenantal love that you could uh, step out of that and really prepare for the sacrament of matrimony in a state of holiness? Thanks, everyone. God bless. Adios. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.